You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Hi, and welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I am a registered holistic nutritionist and certified professional cancer coach. Honoring your hunger, making peace with your food, baby-led weaning. Do these statements seem foreign to you or not fitting in with your current notion of eating? If this is a case, you are certainly not alone. Today, we are talking about intuitive eating with our guest, Elise Resch, who is a nutrition therapist in Beverly Hills, California. Elise has over 40 years of experience, special experience specializing in eating disorders, intuitive eating, and health at every size. She is the co-author of Intuitive Eating, now in its fourth edition, the Intuitive Eating Workbook and the Intuitive Eating Card Deck, 50 Bite-Sized Ways to Make Peace with Food. Elise is also the author of the Intuitive Eating Workbook for Teens and the Intuitive Eating Journal, the guide, the guided journey for nourishing a healthy relationship with food and a chapter contributor to the Handbook of Positive Body Image and Embodiment. Her work has been profiled on NPR, CNN, KABC, NBC, KTTV, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Los Angeles Times, AP Press, USA Today, and the Huffington Post, among many others. This is a fantastic show to help you center on how to eat intuitively if this is a quest that you're on, or if you are looking for more information on exactly what this is. We have a number of topics that are discussed. What is intuitive eating? How our hormones are impacted by what we eat and how our thought processes are involved with that as well. We talk about starting off an intuitive eating process we talk about the principles of intuitive. So much is covered in this show. So please do stay with us. We will be back in just a few minutes to talk to Elise Resch. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Elise, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. We, you know, we are aligned in so many things when, uh, you know, when I found you and I researched you, I thought, what a bright light that needs to be shone and brought to this show. Um, because intuitive eating is, you know, the intuitive seems to me to be something that is innate. Obviously, we've lost it somewhere down the road or somewhere uh, in 
our exposure to different diets and so forth. But let's start off talking about you, how you got to this space, and then we'll dive right into what uh, our topic is. Okay, well, I have been a dietitian, registered uh, di- uh, dietitian nutritionist for 40 years now. Uh, prior to that, I was an elementary school teacher, went back to graduate school at 30. So um, it's been the love of my life doing this work. However, I will say when I began 40 years ago, uh, I was still informed by what I had learned in graduate school, which was um, unfortunately very close to the concept of dieting. It was giving people meal plans and exchanges and uh, focused on on weight loss, which is just so horrifying to me today. But I have to have some grace for what I didn't know then and what has you know changed over the years. In any case, I was never comfortable with it. Uh, in fact, I trained at a facility Uh, a clinic connected to Children's Hospital Los Angeles called the uh, Center for Child Development and Developmental Disabilities. And my intention was to uh, pursue that route with my career, helping people, um, parents of kids with developmental disabilities. I was running their feeding clinic, but it didn't happen that way. And uh, I didn't get the referrals for that. And I began to get referrals from physicians whose uh, main narrative was help these people lose weight so that they can lower their cholesterol all their blood sugar, you know, uh, their blood pressure, all of that. It just never felt right to me, but I couldn't name it exactly. I just knew it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't comfortable. So I tended to take an approach of what can we add into what you're eating? But I also gave them the meal plans. And we also looked at weight loss because I didn't know anything else. Well, what ended up happening was, you know, after a while and people lost weight and then they gained it back, which is diets don't work. And this was similar to a diet. And they would blame themselves. It's like they had done something wrong. And uh, that that was just a terrible feeling for me because I knew they hadn't done anything wrong. I didn't quite understand why yet. And um, one day I was working with a young woman who came back after a session of being given a, a meal plan. And she said to me, I can't do this at all. I'm binging. And I didn't know what to do with her. The good news was soon after that, I started to look at some of the non-diet literature that was coming out in the probably late eighties, early nineties. And um, it opened my eyes. It, uh, it was psychologically based. It was not written. None of it was written by dietitians. It was more lay people and uh, psychotherapists. Jane Hirschman, Carol Munter wrote a wonderful book called Overcoming Overeating, which basically said if um, if you deprive people of things, that's all they're going to want. So give everybody you know what they want. And I thought, whoa, I have a master of science degree in nutrition. How can I tell people that they can eat anything they want? I know some foods have more nutrient value than others. However, I was very interested in psychology. I had started therapy myself, and I was reading everything I could read. And really, the light bulb went off in my brain when I understood that trying to get people to do something that you tell them externally ultimately is going to lead in a rebound. I mean, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So, um it all started to bubble up within me that there's got to be a a better way of helping people. I was also reading um, a little bit about Taoism, TAO. My son at the time was 15 and he sent me a, uh, or he called me and he said, mom, you've got to read this book. It's called the Tao of Pooh. And it was explaining Taoism through Winnie the Pooh. And I read this and I was just fascinated by it 
basically, the more you try to control something, the more out of control it becomes. You don't, you don't have the best uh, result for some, from something that you're trying to control. So I put this all together and I thought, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to help people uh, start to tune into their own inner voice. I mean, I was around babies. I'd remembered when my son was a baby, he ate when he was hungry. He let me know that. And he stopped when he was full. And when I fed him solid foods, he knew what he liked and knew what he didn't like. And so I realized this is a model that really um, has to be taken for all ages because um, toddlers have that wisdom. We just, and you said something about it earlier, we just get pulled away from that wisdom, mainly by the industrial complex called diet culture, which is billions and billions of dollars trying to um, convince people that if they just do it right, they'll lose weight and you know keep it off forever. And I can tell you later why that doesn't work. But um, in any case, I uh, thought I was going to call my book The Tao of Eating, just based on that Tao of Pooh book. And I started to put some chapters on my computer and some notes. And uh, synchronistically, I will say, uh, Evelyn Tripoli, who's my co-author, was uh, spending some time in my office once a week. She lived an hour away and she would uh, use um, a suite, um, an office in my suite of offices to see her L.A. clients. And... Uh, one day I happened to notice that she was um, seeming a little unhappy. And I said, Evelyn, what's the problem? And she said, I'm trying to write this book with a psychologist and she just doesn't know how to write. And at that moment, it just hit me. I'm going to say to Evelyn, I'm going to collaborate with you. I, I said, I'll write that book with you. I knew I was a good writer. I was an English minor in college and I also um, was so interested in this, you know, psychological piece of it. And I could offer the psychology, perhaps, that the psychologist she was writing with uh, wouldn't be able to do. In any case, we came together, we put our heads together, we put our ideas together. She was, her ideas were similar to mine. And there was the beginning. Uh, and we wrote. And history was made. Reading. Yeah, it was. And the first book came out in 1995. And we are now in our fourth edition, which came out. Wow, it was in 2020. I keep thinking it was just last year. Now we're in 22. So it keeps going on. And there are many other publications connected to intuitive eating. Did you coin the term intuitive eating? I did. I Excellent. Did. That was that was my thinking, and um, <laughs> the funny thing is, and this is a very personal story. I don't know whether I should put it up here, but I had a difficult relationship with my father, and when I gave him to the book to read, which I don't think he actually read, he said to me the next time I saw him, "Well, I don't think that's a very catchy phrase. I think you should have called this book, um, um, let me see, learn uh, learning to diet or diet to something or other." He why he had a diet in the in the term of it. Uh, trying to diet or dying to try it. That was what he had said. And I thought, oh my goodness, he never, he never read this book. So yeah, not a very catchy phrase. Huh? <laughs> well, yours is catchy. And it, you know yeah. what, with, with the way people are, we need these mm -hmm. terms. We need to sink our teeth into conceptualizations or so forth. Yes. Because when you were talking about your son and you fed him what he wanted and he ate what he wanted, that is present day baby led weaning is it not yes a hundred percent and i i did in the fourth edition i wrote about baby led weaning so yes absolutely so where did we go wrong uh, mm -hmm. you actually you talked about the diet culture so mm -hmm. infants have this ability to feed themselves 
And just, you know, this is what the concept of baby led weaning is. And so is the reason that this has become the, the tour de force for parents these days, Mm -hmm. because people are seeing down the road, we are outbreading this from our system. So what I'm, I guess is a long winded, are we just (laughs) listening to what the babies are saying and trying to feed them so that they're preserving this intuition? Absolutely. I mean, they know best. They know their hunger, their fullness, what tastes good. The more we try to pressure them, the more they react, which is uh, a sign of a healthy ego. Don't tell me what to do, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it is that. But I will. I think that what happens is that, you know, parents want to do a good job. They want to be good parents. Their intentions are, are good. And they're so influenced by diet culture and by this and I'm going to put it in quotes, ridiculous war on quote unquote obesity in this world, which is, uh, we could do a whole session, a whole, a whole conversation <laughs> about that. Um, so they're just so afraid that their children are going to not be healthy because they're equating weight with health, which is also um, misconception. And so they start to try to control the kids, you know, oh, you can't have your dessert until after you've finished your broccoli. And, and this is the beginning of a disconnection with that internal wisdom. Uh, when I look at the, I, well, I've been so fortunate to follow up with so many of my clients over the years. And when I look at how they're raising their kids with baby led weaning, with intuitive, you know, uh, intention for the kids, these kids have no eating disorders. They have no eating problems. They get everything they need. They grow beautifully. Um, you know, some of them are out of college by now and, and they're doing great in the world. So, and I do want to mention right now, there's a new book out, which I luckily didn't have to write after working on five books in six years. Um, it's called How to Raise an Intuitive Eater. And it's by two of my colleagues, uh, Sumner Brooks and Amy Severson. Fortune, I got fortunate enough to consult with them throughout the whole writing. And I wrote the foreword for the book. And they basically carry parents all the way through looking at their own relationship with food and how to bring up their kids to maintain that intuitive wisdom. Well, that's fantastic because we know the problems that are surrounding, you know, us. I mean, we grew up with a, a pound here. We try to lose that pound. And, right. and you know, food is, is a vehicle instead of something to be enjoyed and a part of our culture and tradition. Now, have we got to the point where a lot of us have disrupted our hormones? Physiologically, we've disrupted our hormones with the way we are eating. So we're shutting off the leptin and the ghrelin. Well, that's an interesting comment that you're making, because with all of the weight cycling that goes on from one diet to the next, where you lose weight and the survival part of your brain is, you know, on alert um, and doing everything it can do to keep the organism alive, you know, keep the person alive, slowing down everything, the slow metabolism and uh, the, the, that part of the brain slows the metabolism. And then person gets off the diet and goes on another one. And this goes on and on. And in that process, absolutely, our um, leptin levels, which is our, our fullness hormone, is are, are raised and our uh, ghrelin, I'm sorry, our ghrelin levels, which is the hunger hormone, are raised and our leptin levels are lowered. And so we're not getting the signals that um, we're born with. Absolutely. What would you say, if you can define it, since you coined it, uh, Uh the definition of intuitive eating is? Well, it's a uh, 
dynamic and compassionate self-care uh, philosophy to help people get reconnected with that internal wisdom. And it's based on 10 principles, which are not rules, they're just guidelines that help you get there. And I have a more succinct or, I think, complicated but wonderful definition for intuitive eating, which is a dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and thought. And this is very important, um, first of all, because people think, oh, it's just instinct. I never have to think about anything. Well, no, this is based on the three parts of the brain, uh, the reptilian brain, which is what the dinosaurs had. That's the instinctual part of the brain that, that sits on top of our brainstem. And it's what keeps us alive. It's what sends out those signals to slow everything down if we're not eating enough or sends out signals to eat a lot more if we're not eating enough, uh, gives us our hunger and fullness signals and what tastes good and doesn't. But that's just part of our brains. I mean, mammals um, have another layer of brain functioning, which is called the mammalian or the limbic brain, which is the seat of emotions and social behaviors. So if you have any pets, your cats and dogs, they have feelings, but they're not talking about them. And what differentiates us as humans is the neocortex, which is the thinking rational part of the brain. So intuitive eating takes into consideration all parts. So for example, instinct, I have had many clients, unfortunately, who have had COVID and have lost taste and smell. Well, their instinct their appetite is gone. Nothing tastes good. They don't feel like eating, but they have to look at the emotions that come with that and then use the uh, cognitive part of their brain to help them make the decision to eat anyway, even if they don't have an appetite, even if they don't have Mm -hmm. hunger. So that's why I say it's more complex uh, than some people think, well, it's just eat whatever you want, whenever that's it. It's not, that's not it. Well, that's too easy. You know, there yeah. has to be parameters, right? I mean, uh, and I could be wrong about this, but the parameter would be um, healthy food, would it not? So it's, it's you, you have to, <laughs> I mean, how am I going to say this without sounding like I'm not an intuitive eater? You want to have surrounding yourself choices of, of more healthier foods. No, is that a parameter that well, you set or no? Well, let me let me talk a little bit about that. So we do have one of the principles, which happens to be the 10th principle is called gentle nutrition. I mean, we are both dietitians. We both know about nutrition, but for all of the books connected to intuitive eating, including of course, intuitive eating itself, uh, that chapter is at the end. And the reason for that is that people have to go through a process of making all foods, what I like to say, um, emotionally equivalent. In other words, we all know that broccoli has more nutrient value than I like to say green jelly beans. (laughs) However, how we feel about ourselves has to be equivalent not like, well, we feel good about ourselves because we ate broccoli and bad about ourselves because we ate candy. And so we have to go through this process of making peace with all foods so that um, we're not driven by the foods we think are quote unquote bad and, and eat them for a while and then tell ourselves we can't and then binge on them. And we just have to make it all equal. By the time you've gone through the entire intuitive eating process, what happens with my clients is that they just want to feel better. So maybe they've been eating a lot of what I call play food just to make peace with food, play food rather than junk food because junk goes in a garbage can and we all need a little time to play. And so there's some foods that simply, you know, offer us pleasure without a whole lot of nutrition in them. 
And um, there's a point at which they'll come to me and say, you know, I'm feeling a little low energy or I'm, you know, my GI tract isn't working so well, at least what can I do? And so that's when I teach them about, you know, more fiber or keeping having balanced meals regularly throughout the day so that their blood sugar stays even and that they have plenty of energy during the day. It's an outcome of letting go of diet culture and coming to a place of truly tuning in to their bodies and the wisdom of their bodies and making some decisions uh, to bring add in some foods that are going to help them, you know, nutritionally. That makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. The question that pops up into my mind because of, you know, my practice is that can intuitive eating be interplayed with a diseased state? Absolutely. Because remember, it's about listening to your body. So, for example, I work with, I have a couple of clients who have Crohn's disease, and there are several foods that just, you know, they can't eat them because Mm -hmm. they get very sick when they eat them. So, their bodies are telling them, this is not a food that, you know, we're going to eat. And they work through the emotions of not being able to eat those foods, but it's not because they're told they're bad food or that, you know, they're going to cause weight gain. It's, it's, it's completely connected to the wisdom of their bodies, given the, whatever the diseases that they have. And interestingly, um, there have been studies on people with diabetes and they have found that intuitive eaters have much better uh, blood sugar control than people who are dieters. So um, there's no question that for the most part, my four favorite words, by the way, for the (laughs) most part, so nothing's perfectionistic, um, pretty much anyone can incorporate intuitive eating, even with the limitations of whatever is going on with them. There may be some developmental um, disabilities where uh, you know, maybe kids or adults just can't get in tune with their bodies and they need extra help. But, but for the most part, most everybody can. So in a nutshell, what we're doing is taking that great big red button off of some foods and looking yes. inward and trying to mm-hmm. listen to our body. We're going to take a break because um, I know if I ask another question here, that's going to soar us right past our halfway point. So everybody <laughs> will be back in just a couple of minutes to continue this great conversation. You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back. We are having a terrific conversation here with Elise Resch. Um, we're talking about intuitive eating, which is never, ever going to be fully covered in an hour. Um, what I would love to talk about here, because intuitive eating seems at such odds with social Uh, you know, the way social things are now with the bombardment that we have of image and what is supposed to be eaten. And, you know, people go on sites looking for health and it's eating a salad, eating this, cutting this out. Can we actually achieve intuitive eating with all of that that's going on around us? Well, we are doing our best to combat that uh, the billions and billions of dollar diet culture uh, industry that I talked about before, and we're making some headways, but then there's so much money in it. There's things like this uh, 
I don't want to promote this by any means, but if you've heard of this thing called Noom, which is a just basically a diet that puts people on, puts women on 1,200 calories, which is the amount of food that a, a toddler needs and uh, men on 1,500, basically putting people into starvation, but then tricking them and telling them that if they just think correctly, if they just have the best psychology, they're going to be able to stay on this diet. And they've fully co-opted intuitive eating. There's a lot of... Um, I don't know, fear, I think, out there in the diet culture industry because intuitive eating has exploded. And so they're using our language. In fact, I have uh, did an interview about this just the other day, and I was looking at some of the uh, things that I had printed. They're using some of my language in Noom. I mean, literally things I have said in the book that they are saying uh, about how they're going to teach people to be intuitive. So, it is really hard and we're trying to combat it. We can't, we don't have the, the money or the time to combat a big industry like that. But in every way we can, podcasts, radio shows, interviews, uh, writing, we're trying to help the world see that dieting is toxic and it doesn't work. I mean, it simply doesn't work. The research shows that 98% of people who go on diets and lose weight by the end of two years, they've gained it back and two thirds of them even more weight. And, um, and by the way, intuitive eating has over 170 studies at this present time that uh, validated as an evidence-based process for physical and mental health. So it's, it's quite solid in science, intuitive eating. So we're trying to get all that information out as much as we can. But yes, the fashion industry, the beauty culture, it's all out there to make people feel bad about themselves and uh, sell products. It's, you know, it's really all about the money that can be um, spent by people who are trying to pursue perfection in some way. So, uh, can we do it? Yes, we can. The more of us that uh, talk about this, the more it gets out there, the more books that are written, and there's lots of them since intuitive eating came out that are really consistent with intuitive eating. Uh, I have hope. <laughs> I'm trying to repair the world. I have hope. So, um, no, but yes. People are confused. People, like I said, they're on the, the internet, Instagram, whatever, mm-hmm. looking for guidance and help. And diets become so pigeonholed and it's almost like a crapshoot and you pick the one that you think you might be able to hold on to. And then in this lies, and this is the beginning of the guilt and the stress. Yes. And people are paralyzed. They walk into their kitchen and mm-hmm. uh, food has lost its enjoyment. This is a huge thing. I mean, you you have it in a in a worldwide context. And it's this is why I gravitated to you so much, because I see it so much. People are afraid of what they're eating. Yes. They have um, lost the desire to be in the kitchen, you know, and we're blaming it on lack of time, lack of this. I, I think it might come down to lack of understanding. Um, and it's so tied up in the emotions of eating, isn't it? It's tied up in the emotions, and it's also tied up in uh, morality. Um, somehow, there's uh, moral value is equated to how you eat, and it's mm-hmm. this whole wellness industry which distorts what true wellness is, true holistic, you know, care for oneself, and and it's really just a cover for being thinner, as if being thinner makes you healthier. So, um, emotions. Okay, I mean. 
people come into my office and say, Elise, I'm such a failure at dieting. And they feel horrible about themselves, lowered self-esteem, you know, sense of self. And uh, I regularly say to them, oh, no, 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 you're not a failure at dieting. Um, you are a success at ego development because this is based on, it's a long conversation, but Eric Erickson, who was a psychologist who wrote the eight stages of man, which should have been human, in any case, uh, talks about the psycho, um, psychosocial stages that people go through in developing a healthy ego and a healthy personality. And one of them is autonomy. And that starts at like about 18 months. You know, kids are toddlers. They're walking around. They realize they're their own person. They, they aren't connected to mommy and by the umbilical cord anymore. And they want to do what they want to do. And their favorite word is no. And so, this shows that they're developing this healthy personality. And I do a lot of inner child work. And I believe that we carry our inner toddler our inner teenager with us our entire lives. Even at my age, I've got a pretty strong inner teenager. And so when people fail, quote unquote, fail on diets, it's it's connected to two major psychological factors. It's the psychology of deprivation. The more, you know, we don't have something, the more we want it. And uh, it's connected to this issue of autonomy. People get tired of being told what to eat and they break the diet, but that's a, a healthy sign, but they end up feeling bad about themselves. And so with that emotion, um, they find the next diet thinking they'll feel better about themselves if they're only successful on that one and they quote unquote, lose the weight. And it's a terrible cycle that so many people of all genders are in, um, especially women, but uh, it's toxic and pervasive and, um, you know, emotions. I mean, we, we can have emotions around eating for goodness sake, eating is celebratory and eating is comfort some of the time. Um, it's, it's so wonderful to feel that wonderful feeling when you're eating something so satisfying. That's an emotion. It's only when people have not had the ability to develop other coping mechanisms besides food, that food becomes destructive for them because then they're um, using it as a way to numb their feelings or to push away, you know, to push away everything and to sometimes punish themselves. And that's really unfortunate. And so much of my work is to help heal that as well. So yes, emotions are a big part of it. And we have a chapter called or a principle called cope with your emotions with kindness, because it's acknowledging that sometimes it's just fine to have food as a comfort in your life. Absolutely. You know, the more I, uh, the, the num- more I'm in this uh, industry, the more I realize that nutrition is a piece of the puzzle. It is not the entire puzzle. And there's so much more to being, you know, to have optimum health and uh, than just what you eat. And the emotional impact of our thought processes and so forth is so profoundly important. And I think this is what uh, you're bringing to the table. Where do we start? Where well, do we start okay. on this journey? Um, I will tell you something interesting I want to add to what you're saying before we go to how do you become an intuitive eater, which is uh, something interesting that's happening to me. I work with a lot of teens and they're very much into image and wanting to be as thin as they can. And the moment I bring up the concept of social justice with them, I have found that universally their eyes open up and they say, yes, I'm for social justice. I believe all people should be equal and have a right to respect and dignity okay, so what about this fat phobia that's going around? And it causes a cognitive dissonance in them when they are 
um, realizing that they're believing in something that really is a form of oppression. And it opens them up to possibly making some changes in their you know, neural pathways around this. So um, dieting is a way of extending weight stigma, weight bias, fat phobia, and making people feel really bad about themselves. And um, so I have this quest to, um, as I say, uh, through a social justice lens to help all people feel equal and deserving of all the wonderful things that people are deserving of. So that being said, how do we how do we jump into intuitive eating? People say, you know, I'm so out of touch. I don't know. I don't feel hunger. I don't feel fullness. I don't know what I'm doing. What should I do, Elise? Well, I tend to be a bit of a maverick in all of my work, and I ask them to uh, not take the principles of intuitive eating in any particular order, except for the first one. The first one is reject the diet mentality Uh, with that one. Uh, if you're still holding on to the idea that, oh, I'll try this intuitive eating thing. If it doesn't work, you know, I heard about, and I'm not going to name them, the one, the popular ones that are around, any more of them anyway. Um, then what that does is that puts them in a position of future deprivation. So the mere perception that they're going to be deprived when they go on that next restrictive plan uh, they can't really embrace intuitive eating because they can't make all foods equal and they can't, you know, do the work that has to be done to get reconnected with themselves. So that's imperative, rejecting diet mentality. And when I have a new client who says, I'm done with dieting, never will I go on a diet again. It's been so horrible for me. I know that that person is going to take to intuitive eating very rapidly and make major changes in their lives. Okay. So once you're you know, committed to never dieting again, I like to jump into satisfaction, find the satisfaction in your eating, you know, the satisfaction factor. And the reason I go there is that when you think about it, if you look through a lens of satisfaction, it's going to impact hunger, fullness, um, how you're eating, you know, your eating environment, um, how you feel about yourself, pretty much all the principles are connected to satisfaction. So, for example, I will just kind of um, acting naive, naively say to a client, well, tell me, would you eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich um, on your way to your favorite restaurant for your most incredible dinner? And they look at me, Elise, of course not. You know, why would I do that? And um, I say, okay, well, why don't, you know, why wouldn't you? And they say, well, of course, I I wouldn't be hungry. I wouldn't have an appetite because I would have eaten the sandwich and my appetite will be gone and food will not be enjoyable. And I'll go, bingo. You know, that's why we want to start eating with comfortable hunger, not ravenous, but not what we call primal hunger, where you can barely even taste anything because you have to shove the food in your mouth so fast because you're the instinctual part of your brain is registering that you're in starvation and sends out chemicals to get you to eat as fast as you can. Uh, so it, it affects hunger. It affects, affects fullness. When you're eating uh, and have really satisfied your body and your tongue uh, and you continue to eat past that point of comfortable fullness, it's not very satisfying anymore. First of all, the food doesn't taste as good at the end as it did in the beginning when you were hungry. Same thing. Appetite's gone. And, um, there's physical discomfort. So you lose that satisfaction. So I help people take a look at that sign when they're comfortably full to deal with, and we're going to get back to emotion right now, Kathy, to deal with the feeling that comes up 
when we've had enough, we know it, our bodies are telling us that we're comfortably full. We want to keep eating, but we know if we do, we're going to feel uncomfortable physically. And we have to deal with the emotion of sadness. I wrote an article called The Sadness of Saying Enough. And when I talk to people about it, they frequently will say, my goodness, I've always had that feeling, but I've just never heard it described. Um, I will tell you, it was my birthday on Saturday, and I had this incredible, wonderful meal. And when, thank you. And when I was finished with my last lamb chop, I was sad because it was so delicious. But um, that's a normal emotion for anything that we're enjoying when it's coming to an end. I'm a big reader. And if I'm reading a wonderful book, I, I can't wait to get to the end to get you know the whole story. And then I'm sad because I'm finished with the book. And you know. all your friends are gone. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, you understand me so well. I do. <laughs> yes. Or, you know, or a vacation, a wonderful vacation. It's like, oh, no, you have to go back. Even if you like your work, it's still more regiment and it's responsibility and it's taking you away from just that pleasure of looking at the ocean, let's say. So, um, satisfaction, you know, factors into that fullness, peace, and emotions to help you understand that. Um, you can bear that emotion of sadness because within a couple of minutes, it goes away, especially knowing that when you're hungry again, you get to eat whatever you want and um, respecting the body. If you're making negative statements about your body, you know, bashing your body, uh, no matter how delicious the food is, you're going to feel bad about it because you're feeling bad about your body and um, the making peace with food. If you haven't made peace, I'm mentioning some of the uh, principles out of, you know, out of order, but making peace with food, if you have not made peace with food, meaning what I said earlier, that all foods are emotionally equivalent, you can't really enjoy the food thinking you're doing something wrong or bad and that you shouldn't do it. So it goes on and on throughout the principles. So that's how you start. Just start thinking about satisfaction. Start thinking about how can you create an environment that's going to give you the most satisfaction. I mean, if you've got construct, have construction going on next door, or you're in the middle of a fight with your, you know, someone in your family, your food is not going to be very satisfying. Or if you're eating it on the run or standing up and not sitting down and really giving yourself that opportunity to stay present and enjoy the food, you know, it's not going to be as satisfying. So in any case, we could go through all the principles, but I don't want to spend the whole hour with that. Well, it seems that it might be very difficult for some people. Are there people that this just can't work for? Or what are the, there are many, many hurdles to, to actually getting into the intuitive eating. Are there people that this just, it just can't work for? Well, I think it has to do with values. I know that you wouldn't, you would probably be surprised that I said that, but I think there, I do a deep dive into people's values and what's really important and why are we here and what is the purpose and the spirituality of it all. And there are some people I have found whose values are mainly connected to how they look, their mm -hmm. appearance. They've grown up that way. They've taken it on for themselves and they're just unwilling to let their bodies be what they're you know, DNA program to be. They're constantly trying to fix their bodies. It often leads as they get older to lots of plastic surgery as well. You know, so those people, yes, I agree with you. They're not, they're not open to it, but that's not very many people that I meet. Fortunately, I meet a lot of people who recognize that there's got to be more to life than how we look. Not that it's not nice to take care of self-care and look nice, mm -hmm. but it's it's a matter of, you know, how much time and energy is put into that part 
part of your life. There are some children born um, who have some developmental disabilities, some kids with autism, where it's really hard for them to connect. So it could be harder for them. So yes, there are some people it's more difficult for, but for most people, it's, it's the way to go, even with limitations of, you know, medical problems. So what has been, you know, have, has there been one person that you've worked with that has stood out as being such an accomplishment for you, getting them on this path to better eating? You know, that's a really good question. And I'm thinking about this young woman who came to me uh, back in about 2005, maybe 2004, um, who had come from a family of, an, of a different culture, not American, a different culture, who um, the whole family was about appearance. Her mother was constantly talking about herself and, you know, at the gym and her sister and brother were naturally thin people and loved the way they looked. And this young woman had had a sexual abuse issue when she was five. She'd been raped at five and trauma, horrible trauma. And it led her to every eating disorder that, um, you know, bulimia and anorexia and binge eating and everything and every diet in the world and, and really unhappy with her body size and et cetera, et cetera. And she came to me and wasn't ready for intuitive eating. In fact, for three years, she came every week because she liked me and she liked talking to me, but she was trying one diet after another. She had to do it. I had to let her do it and see the consequence and talk about it. And after three years, she embraced intuitive eating and Everything changed in her life, everything. Her uh, eating disorder, you know, potential was gone. No more eating disorders, no issues with body size, nothing like that. And we've stayed in touch and she has consequent or subsequently uh, gotten older, gotten married, had a couple of kids and we stay in touch. And she is still in 2022, a full-blown intuitive eater, happy with her body, with her life, raising two little boys in that way. So that's quite a a good story for me. It is a lovely story. So many emotions tied up with what we eat a hundred percent. Your book is called intuitive eating um, a fourth edition, as you said, in 2020, where can people find that if they want to get a hold? It's such a profound shift from what we're used to. Um, and I just think it's such an important part of what we need to be doing. Thank you. Yes, it's intuitive eating, a revolutionary anti-diet approach is a sub- subtitle. It is available wherever books are sold, uh, Barnes and Noble, online. Uh, don't really love supporting Amazon, but Amazon certainly has it. And there are many independent bookstores that have it and people um, can go in and request it and have them order it. And it's... Um, no, this one is not available from the publisher itself. The other books, the workbooks are available from... Um, uh, New Harbinger um, Publishing, but uh, yeah. And a website, if people want to get a hold of you, do you have a website that they sure. can? Uh, sure. So my friends? personal website is um, eliseresh.com. And I'm right now on the, oh, my website person is getting me to shift the website. So it's available on mobile phones too, but it's it's in progress, but it, it's been around for a while. And there's a lot of information on it. Um, I have links to talks I've given, podcasts I've done, papers I've written. I've got a, a list of my words of wisdom for all the years I've been around trying to help people have, you know, more peaceful lives. I have 
books that I recommend on their treatment programs. So it's elisefresh.com. And then there's the Intuitive Eating website, which is intuitiveeating.org. And that has lists of studies that have been done and resources for people. My co-author and I have a um, training program for certified intuitive eating counselors. And there's thousands of people all over the world who have trained and there's a directory on the website. So wherever you are, it's likely you can find somebody somewhat near you to work with. And I do recommend trying to find a certified intuitive eating counselor because there are some people out there who say they're doing intuitive eating, but they're, they've kind of distorted it and it's Mm -hmm. not pure intuitive eating. Well, thank you so much. I love, love, love the work that you're doing. And I thank you for gracing our show with your presence today. Oh, you're so welcome. And by the welcome. And by the way, I'm also on Instagram at, at Elise Resch. And I'm, you know, I feel pretty good at my age that I <laughs> can do a little bit of social media, but I, I don't really know how to post too many things, but I repost some wonderful things that other people know how to put on there and they get credit, of course. So at Elise Resch on Instagram. Thank you very much. You're um, welcome. Again, wonderful topic, wonderful work you're doing. And everybody, um, I really encourage you to explore this topic uh, for, for so many things, yourselves, your children, your children's children. It's very important. And it's something that's near and dear to my heart. With that being said, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.